AVXL episode 146 was recorded on July 12th, 2021. It's stupid hot, people. Clean your gear. IKEA Symphonisk, Sonos picture frame. Verizon has its own spatial sound. More C9 OLED firmware upgrades. The case of the missing calibration mic. How many watts for your home theater? And so much more. Don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to each and every one of you that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Your monthly contributions make the show possible. Testing, one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I... Hi, Rob. <laughs> Hello, Patrick. <laughs> I see you sitting in your truck. Or the, uh, the vehicle du jour. My, uh, my beloved oldest son has an online class, and uh, we're recording later than we usually do because I was the world's slowest writer today, and I wanted him to be able to do his class without having to whisper. Nice. Don't make your children whisper in Zoom. <laughs> You are very considerate. You know, it's uh, he's going to be a big boy, and I ain't growing anymore. (laughs) (laughs) The tables will turn. (laughs) Ah, Age and treachery will always overcome youth and skill. I thought my dad was full of it, and I realized it's a mantra for a parent. Uh, It's a good survival strategy. You know, everybody's got knees. Um, Thank goodness. Yeah. It is not as hot as it was in, say, Portland uh, last week or the week before. All I know is Portland and 110 um, is one of the most. And a, fr- a friend of ours, a friend of mine lives there, and uh, it was just, I was just like, "Are you okay?" And he was like, "Oddly enough, my new heat pump is getting installed this week." And I'm like, "How lucky are you?" And he's like, "I, I'm so shocked and delighted." Uh, nice. I think he half expected, you know, people with lots of money to, like, force installations or upgrade. And that was just crazy. But even if you're not, right, in Portland having uh, unseasonably hot weather, if even if you're not in the Pacific Northwest in the land of the big trees and the big the big rains, uh, living under Vegas heat. Or dodging the summer. recent fire outbreaks here in California. Ugh. Everywhere in the West. The West is on fire currently. Again, <laughs> anyway, and running out of water. <laughs> well, um, even when the West isn't on fire, I used to keep all my AV gear in the closet, and it was always amazing to me because uh, this this closet was on an outside wall, and it would get stupid cold because it was a you know turn of the century, hundred year old house with no insulation, and that room would get stupid cold in the winter. That closet, that you know four foot by four foot closet, and then I stalled all the home theater gear in there, and we'd be watching a movie, and it wouldn't be so cold in there. And then in the summer, you know, you would open the door, and you would get hit with this wall of heat, and it wasn't like there was that much gear in there, but you know, it's hot, and airflow and keeping airflow flowing is critical for the survival of many things in your life. It is, and especially for the electronics you have invested in, and anything literally with active cooling or even not even the items that can be cooled just by natural convection you just want to definitely be checking things like the vents around those devices right and i always think of my personal computer probably as the biggest air filter in my room being an air cooled (laughs) setup that it is and the way it works uh is that 
after a while, you're going to find that it's just going to get clogged up with, you know, dust, dust right. bunnies, or if you're dealing with things like pets Cat or hair. other. Exactly. And it's good at least once a year, I say, disconnect that sucker and give it a proper cleaning and dust it out. Uh, for things like my personal computer, I would definitely suggest, depending on how dirty it is, take it outside because it is not something you want to suddenly be like. Right. Taking all of that collected dust that's within the container and then suddenly <laughs> unleashing that upon a relatively clean room. <laughs> so I'm laughing because I'm thinking about a computer that was on the floor in my friend's room. And it, it was before computer cases had um, uh, filters built into them. And he was like, my computer's been really unstable. And we look at it and, you know. Like, is it a virus? You know, let's take a look inside and, you know, make sure your heat sink's on. And I opened up the lid and there was basically, you could have knit a couple of cats from the pile of cat hair inside of that computer. And I'm like, I think we found your problem. And he was uh, slightly terrified and we vacuumed it out. And all of the thermal, all of the issues went away because they were all thermal related. But um, but that's, that's a good for point. Heat kills routers, heat kills switches, heat kills ambiently cooled and somewhat expensive uh devices like i I've, I've yet to kill an apple tv through heat i'm pretty sure i've killed at least one roku through heat um, i think so too i think i yeah. just did an older roku in through accidentally cooking it off or something uh mm -hmm. either way you bring up a good point though with computers it is good once you get that thing outside to pull all the case panels off mm -hmm. especially the sides just to get access to everything blow it out I love using the electric dusters out there instead of actually using something like one of the spray cans of compressed gas that can be relatively expensive too. Granted, uh, my favorite electric duster is about 80 bucks, but it's kind of like one of those buy once, cry once devices. It's like, <laughs> I will have this thing forever. It runs very well and it's great for cleaning out all sorts of devices, be it your ADR, yeah. your monitors, the back of TVs, the hotter the device, the more you should be considering its maintenance. And I'm not saying check it, you know, six times a year, but at least once a year. Yeah. Give it a good once over. Check those fan blades. Wipe things off with a soft rag if they need to be, uh, or maybe even take an old toothbrush and, and make sure those blades are looking nice and clean. And with graphics cards as hot as those devices can get nowadays and the newest cards getting incredibly hot, that GDDR6X memory, <laughs> I'll get into that at some point. Anyway, anything again with active cooling, something running fans, even your notebook, right. it is an ideal scenario just to take a look at those vents, get the crusties out of there and keep it running cool vacuum behind your gear every once in a while because it's amazing what gets caught up in in cables um if, this is much worse if you have pets than if you don't have pets because oh. fur is oddly enough a natural insulator um you know i've i have a, a really lovely uh cambridge audio amplifier i'm testing right now and it is a big it, it is a passively cool device and the heat because they understand physics they put holes in the top of the case for the heat to exit through the top of the case it's brilliant um but that is also some place that you know you want to make sure those holes are clean that that it's vacuumed you know if you have a dusty house and you know if you if you don't have dust in your house uh a email ask at avxl.com and tell me how uh and b cool but uh, you know make sure vents 
cooling radiators, uh, you know, be careful how you stack your gear. Uh, your AVR is going to generate a lot of heat if you're watching, you know, <laughs> if it's 108 degrees outside and you're hiding in the basement watching Netflix for five hours, the heat's going to pile up. And I work really hard to make sure that nothing is stacked on top of any amplifier or AVR because that's where the heat comes from. So, you know, totally. 12 volt fans also I've played around with and just moving air. Like for example, in that closet, I had actually mapped out a whole contraption I was going to build out of PVC with old computer fans to bring in the relatively cold air from outside of the closet uh, and draw out the hot air from the top of the closet. It's something um, <laughs> to just also keep an ear out for. If you suddenly notice right. a device running its fan more often, or it seems to be cooling harder than it used to be, give it a quick look. I noticed that even my fancy new monitor has a built-in fan if I run it too damn hot or overclocked to all high hell <laughs> and in its full HDR bright mode. So, yeah. Beyond the noise. Oh, that electric duster I mentioned is actually made by a company called Metro Datavac, and it's the ED500. I forgot when I purchased mine. It was years ago, and they still sell the same product, and it's an absolute must-have for all you uh, <laughs> folks out there with electronics and the desire to dust away. And the nice thing about that, too, it's not blowing, like, frozen air into a device. It's also using right. room air. And with different nozzle it's also attachments. Not flammable air. Yes. All these things for safety and convenience. Tell and... them about the fire. Tell them about the fire. <laughs> yes. Be aware that those cans of compressed gas that are used Some. for dusting are often flammable. And if you shoot that into, say, a running projector with a 300 watt lamp module glowing bright, <laughs> you may see fire spit out the other side. Just really? Aware. Is that a firsthand observation? Oh, yeah. I forget what job that was. It was, uh, but I do remember that fire and I was even more impressed that the projector kept running and seemed to function. Okay. And, <laughs> and it was a loner product. I did have to sorry, send that I back. I just love that point. story. Yeah. <laughs> HP. Awkward. I'm sorry, Hewlett Packard. I believe it was one of your products. <laughs> Lesson learned. Fine. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Um, so, uh, the latest Ikea Sonos collaboration goes on sale Thursday, July 15th. It is the Symphonisk picture frame with Wi-Fi speaker. Cool. It is a wall hangable speaker with, uh, you know, your basic Swedish contemporary design kind of thing going on there. It'll be available in white and black. And, uh, I am very, very, they're supposed to have swappable fronts on it. I suspect creative people will figure out how to put, uh, other things on the front of that speaker. Some cord management is built into the frame on that, which I think is really, really smart. Um, and it basically has a tweeter and a very, very small woofer. And I'm very, very curious to hear what this sounds like, because this will, it's about, I think I want to say about 60 millimeters, about two and a half inches thick. I'm super curious to hear what the bass is like on this, because uh, larger enclosure volumes give you more opportunity to bring the bigger bass. It's 2.36 inches thick. Is this a digital picture frame or is this literally a picture frame with a built-in uh, Wi-Fi it is a It is a great big, you know how they do the Symphonisk table lamp with the Sonos speaker built into it? Ah, okay. Oh, wow. I just noticed the Symphonisk table lamp with Wi-Fi speaker. It says last chance to buy on Ikea.com. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Those things are, I, I, I will say, 
<laughs> in order to, because uh, there's so few outlets in our house, I leapt at the opportunity to get my boys a lamp on that because, you know, they, they listen to music and audiobooks through Sonos speakers. And I was able to, com- you know, basically turn two things in their, in their room into one. And I was actually shocked. I'm still blown away by how good the audio is um, from the uh, $189 lamp, Symphonisk lamp. Um, I'm very, very curious to hear what the picture for, but basically it's, it's a big flat square. It's like a pizza box, except not square, you know, with a, a, a grill co- a fabric grill cover on it and it hangs on the wall and it makes music. Um, <laughs> and that front grill cover is apparently replaceable either through just straight up different colors, black or white, but you could easily get that customized, I imagine to your yeah. heart's content or something, you know, take the white one and make it look however you want. Although I'd be curious to know if you could just straight up replace it with your own art rather than they have kind of a geometric fractal style pattern on the design itself, whether you go with the black or the white cover. And it doesn't look like a speaker. Right. It's got the Sonos backing with their tech. I'm curious. Yeah. It looks good. I'm I'm super curious too. It's like 16 inches wide, 22 inches high, two inches deep. I think it was Slash Gear said it was 2.36 inches deep. It's got a big old port up there i'm i'm super 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 curious to hear it i suspect people who are uh, ikea hacking by nature will start you know cutting and and making and figuring out how to put other fabric on there yeah that might Uh, be difficult to not attenuate your tweeter exactly exactly Uh, is it acoustically transparent your work of art Hmm. well even acoustically transparent means dropping a couple db at the high end but that we'll get into later so also, I want to say the the lamps make really really cool, and these 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 uh, picture frames have the possibility of making very very slick surround sound speakers Ooh. for your Sonos Arc home theater lifestyle. I like that thought. Yeah, so do I. Uh, from the things I would have uh, never known about except for Twitter, uh, Neil Patel uh, over at the Verge tweeted uh, at Reckless tweeted, "Oh good, the dumbest format war." Uh, and uh i just remember being like what <laughs> and it's a a link to a a verge article on verizon delivering its or, or basically announcing its own version of spatial audio which is going to show up on motorola phones in the near future props to chris welch over at uh, the verge who writes quote you know spatial audio is having quite a moment when wireless carriers decide to create their own implementations of it. And uh, Verizon's calling it Verizon Adaptive Sound. It produces a brilliant spatial surround experience regardless of what headphone, sound bar, or earbud brand you use or what application you're watching or listening to. And apparently they've been puttering along with this since 2019. Excuse me, eagerly developing it. Uh, actually, I shouldn't be mean because anything in audio is hard. And uh, uh, I think the uh, Motorola One 5G UW Ace is going to be one of the first phones with that equipped on it. Um, if you go into the settings menu on Android, you can uh, turn that on. <sighs> you know, I'm super curious to hear what this is going to be like. If your mobile device is your primary source of all things sound, this at least is a tool that you could yeah. take advantage of just for optimizing how each individual external device outside of that mobile device that you might connect to, wireless speakers in particular. Maybe you yeah. could uh, optimize that sound quality for different rooms. And yeah, it's still, though, as far as spatial audio, do you want that effect or do you want to hear it the way it's supposed to be? Or 
uh, is it true? Well, I mean, that's... Eh, I'll cut that part. That's but. something that's changing. No, 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 don't cut that. Don't okay. cut that at all, because it's an interesting debate right now, because when you look at Apple's launch, you know, they, they Apple Music, they, they made a big deal out of spatial audio. They made a big deal out of, of bringing Atmos uh, tracks. They did not make a big deal out of lossless audio, and for most audio geeks, it's like yes, lossless audio. Um, even though their their compressed stuff sounds pretty good, but for them, they're thinking of uh, consumer excitement and getting people to buy hardware, and they're like, people are going to love spatial audio, and I think it sounds okay on some things, and on some things it's kind of cool, and other things uh, it's obvious that somebody was not really caring or paying attention when they applied the spatial audio effects on that track, even on some of the tracks in the uh, listen to these tracks because they're so cool list from Apple. There's a reason stereo has survived for so long, because it sounds good, because there's a lot of magic in stereo, as one of my favorite uh, audio engineers once put it, and also because you don't need a particular you know, <laughs> you don't need to have a particular brand of hardware or phone carrier to get access to it. The other thing is a lot of the spatial stuff has a lot of promise and just kind of falls apart when people start using it. Um, they do crappy versions or it sounds kind of weird. Uh, I'll, I'll be curious. They have wonderful words. I like what uh, Verizon's spokesperson quoted in the Verge article. Um <laughs> While some technology solutions have attempted to provide premium sound experiences to some specific, usually expensive devices, and to a limited subset of content, most devices and content experiences have been relegated to a disjointed, suboptimal, and lowest common denominator-like experience. We wanted to change that. That reminds me of what I get through my soundbar and its conversion of a variety of audio formats to something like right. the Atmos. In many cases, when I watch, say, a YouTube channel where it's recorded in PCM stereo, right. at the variety of different quality types that can be out there, depending on how careful somebody was in their setup, right. I find it actually quite nice to be able to run all that into a Dolby Atmos converter. It makes a lot of bad audio sound better. <laughs> it makes just things sound a little more consistent compared to listening yeah. to everyone's raw mix or hopefully post-processed audio, but often not on a variety of <laughs> hardware. It's when you're dealing with these variety of sources, especially with online streaming. It's not so much right. for commercial work or, you know, popular content that's been processed properly. But for those YouTube well, channels I love, some of them do audio a lot better than others. And it's nice to yeah. kind of have something to smooth that over. If that's something like what Verizon's looking at with this. I'm going to be really curious to hear it. Um, if for no other reason... I literally heard my first sort of mock 3D psychoacoustic, psychoacoustic being sort of, you know, the, the study of how we hear things and, and how to process audio to create certain effects like surround sound or Atmos. Um, all of that falls under the heading of psychoacoustics. So I'm not, that's not something I made up. That's like a legit, you know, people in white robes doing science, people in white lab coats doing science. I literally think it was 25 or 24 years ago was the first time somebody was like, you know, it was like SRS processing. And they were like, it makes your audio sound big. And all I could think was like, it makes my audio sound like ass right? <laughs> because of all of the manipulation it was doing. It has gotten better. Verizon certainly has the money and the access to technology to make something really compelling. Uh, we'll find out when it ships. Um, you know, a lot of this stuff seems very... You know, uh, it's like that toy the child brings home and they're really excited. And uh, 
and then they never touch it again a week later. Um, but I don't know. Maybe maybe this is the future, and I'm too blind to see it. I wait with bated breath for Ryzen. <laughs> nice. It's just also so weird that they're doing their own spatial sound. But then again, Verizon also, you know, bought a great big media company. Uh, C9 firmware update. Is this another update for your C9? Back-to-back updates, baby. Actually, (laughs) I flipped on the C9 I own, and it updated again right before my eyes the other day. And I had mentioned previously that this last update did seem to introduce some glitches related to Dolby Vision playback with C9 owners connecting devices like Apple TV devices. And sure enough, things are less glitchy now with this next update. According to LG's awesome description, it just simply says software update contains minor bug fix. That's that's it. That, that They admit nothing other than... <laughs> So, if your TV had done the one update to dot .4, I believe it's now up to dot .15, you are hopefully back in action with some Dolby Vision playback on your gaming and movie streaming options out there, and that's a good thing. Less buggy is always nice. Yeah. <laughs> They're still working on, of course, Dolby Vision 60 or 120 support for the C9. We'll see if that happens, but that's... Story for another day <laughs> when there's something to actually report. You know, I, I should have mentioned before, they have added to the Symphonisk listings on the IKEA website, and they have some of the replacement covers up there now, which they did not uh, when I started writing that down originally. Very cool. And one of them is sort of a, a, a blotch of paintball-type paint blots, and the other one is a very neo-70s kind of modish. It, well, it's very obviously that you're looking at a stylized record with a, uh, you know, tone arm and, and needle cartridge. Very on cool. It, so. But at least there's more yeah. options besides just black or white with some <laughs> geometric pattern on it. <laughs> Not that you have anything against geometric patterns. Oh. <laughs> That's not going to please everyone. That's a no. big part of that in terms of how it looks. That's what oh, you see. My goodness. That is the speaker. Your art <laughs> is audible. We got an email from Eric who writes, love the show. Thank you, Eric. He's uh, He has concerns. It sounds like the uh, calibration mic on his AVR 3600H, it's a Denon uh, uh, AVR receiver, and a very nice one, uh, has died. He says, when I try to calibrate my home theater, the receiver plays the test sounds. Then I assume, because it can't hear them, cranks up the volume, uh uh-oh, and plays them again. And then finally says something like, connect your mic, dummy. It ends the test. I'm pretty sure that's not quite how they phrase it, but um, I like that. uh, I like the idea of that message being on the front of my uh, AVR. He tried jiggling the wire along the route and at the ends. Maybe it was a cable problem. No luck. He had another, a different round mic from an old Onkyo or Yamaha receiver. That one works properly, and the sound seems to be calibrated okay. However, I remember you guys discussing this a while ago and ended on the use the mic the receiver came with. Am I doing myself a disservice by using the Onkyo one? He says, I'm in the process of building out the theater space and adding sound absorption, so I'll probably be wanting to calibrate a few more times as the room changes. A quick search finds replacements for 40 to 60 bucks, but they're labeled that they're compatible for a whole bunch of brands. So then I started wondering how different they really are. Any thoughts? Thanks for all the great info every episode. Eric. I would think that if it sounds okay, then that might be a <laughs> decent sign that it may not matter much as long as it's a yeah. functioning microphone that is connected. I often wonder maybe with Odyssey and the Odyssey calibration, 
if it requires any special, I don't know, something maybe special with the microphone, but again, I kind of doubt it. These look like pretty commodity devices generally, and it is yeah. kind of a shame they charge upwards of 60 bucks for a replacement if you want want it through the legit channels. Yeah, and that's the price on Amazon. First of all, I would call up Den, and they've got a 1-800 number. Call them up and see whether or not they have a better deal on that. Uh, two, uh, there is a cottage industry <laughs> on eBay of used uh, sound calibration microphones. Um, and in theory, you know, all of the Odyssey-based ones should use, you know, basically should use the same mic, I would imagine. I would think so, too. That's not something they want to spend a lot of time screwing around with. But, you know, you can get a used one for significantly less, like half that price. There's one that's about to end an auction for like 10 bucks. Here's one for 16 bucks. One, if you're happy with the way it sounds, you're happy the way it sounds. Two, call Denon. Three, take a look at eBay. Four, shell out the 60 bucks if you're worried about it. You know, one of the things that's worth pointing out is, is I think between the two of us, we could probably start listing a half dozen people who are like, do not use automated calibration systems. Use your decibel meter and sit in place. In the old style, in the way real men and women calibrated their home theaters not so long ago. Give me the tape measure. <laughs> I'm being a jerk. But, uh, you know, one thing to point out is a lot of people will find that once they have set up their calibration that they need to turn up the subwoofer, the low frequency uh, channel to get sort of it in balance with the rest of the system. That is a common complaint. But yeah, I think you're probably fine, but uh, I am I, the kind of person who will sort of side-eye that microphone for the rest of time. I mean, it's a microphone, you know, covering a broad range of the audio spectrum. It should be fairly similar across all the different brands, but if you're worried about the Odyssey mics, uh, the Denon mics having a particular secret sauce, uh, there are a lot of options out there to find a replacement for a bit less than they're selling for on Amazon. Totally take advantage of your warranty if it's still active, too. Calling Denon might yeah. be the best first step, like you said. A, they may just replace it for nothing, or B, they'll cut you a really good deal on it. Or C, they will try to sell you one for 60 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know you get a microphone with a new 3700 HAVR, <laughs> sir? <laughs> Hit up eBay. Slick emailed asked at avxl.com, what should I be looking for in a receiver to run seven channels in a 5. 1.2 setup. Maybe not specifically this setup, but something similar. I have four clips. Synergy F1 is my front left right and side left right uh, with a 100 watt max input power each and a Synergy C2 center, the 100 watt max input power with two ceiling Dolby Atmos speakers, also with 100 watt max input power. Does this mean it needs something that can push close to 100 watts per channel for seven channels? I see some info on receivers that says 90 watts per channel into six ohms, 20 to 20,000 hertz at 0.09% THD with two channels driven. So would that mean it's only pushing 90 watts for two channels? Robert F. from Alaska. Short answer is that's a particular power rating that was put together uh, to keep amplifier manufacturers honest which was a real problem in the early 70s. Uh, and the FTC stepped in and said, we need to make this reality-based. And they came up with a reality-based test, and then things got more complicated with home theaters. But the short answer is no, actually, it's not only pushing 90 watts per two channels. It's pushing 90 watts per two channels uh, on a 6-ohm load at 0.09% THD. And if you're willing to, uh, that's total harmonic distortion. If you're willing to suffer more distortion, and a lot of people will say it doesn't really become audible in music until one to 2%, you make it considerably more watts pumped through that receiver. 
if you want to really get into this, uh, Audioholics has done a lot of really, really fantastic writing about this, and I'll talk about that in a minute, Slick. But the longer answer is don't sweat max input power. Keep an eye on your speaker sensitivity, the speaker's ohm ratings, and the size of your room. People love more power, because America, you know. But going from 50 to 70 watts or 80 to 120 watts is not as useful as you think it would be. I love powerful amplifiers. I had a tough time uh, learning that I did not need all of the power I coveted uh, because I grew up in this phase of audio geekery, audiophile. You know, there was this phase where people were like, yes, you know, 100 watts, no, 200 watts, no, 400 watts. It was like the more power is everything era of amps in the late 70s going into the 80s. While being able to deliver huge amounts of current is great for inefficient speakers, um, (laughs) as I kind of glance over to a particular particular pair in my collection, especially if you have massive rooms and you are seated far from the speakers, more often than not, you don't actually use a lot of power when you are playing music or even movies at human levels. My priorities at this point are a super, super quiet amp that has no distortion at low volumes. Like for me, the one watt measurements are much more critical than, uh, you know, the max power references. Although, you know, knowing that your amp can deliver, you know, for a brief moment, several hundred watts instead of its usual 90 watts is really, really cool and could be valuable in certain situations. But in any case, don't sweat the max input power. If you're not driving distortion through your speakers, you're probably not going to kill them. Please don't kill your speakers. Good point. Those uh, Clip Synergy F1s, they're 8 ohm, which means they're easy to drive. They have a 93 dB efficiency. Oh. That's really efficient. That means you will hit 93 decibels at one meter from the speaker with one watt of power. If that rating is legit, and JBL doesn't really like to lie about things, they have a lot of testing. Um, 93 dB is very loud, as in an hour or so at 94 dB, and you're on your way to permanent hearing damage. Decibels are on a logarithmic scale, right? So plus 10 dB is 10 times the sound energy, 10 times the power. Um, there's a really nice spiel uh, that JBL has on doubling power versus doubling output. There's a, a, a German site I got linked to at some point, uh, Sengpil Audio. And it is in English, not German. Uh, and it really helps to understand decibels because decibels are weird units of measurement. Um, a doubling of the volume or loudness, and I'm directly quoting the site, should be sensed as a level difference of plus 10 dB. That's what acousticians say. Doubling the sound pressure or voltage corresponds to a measured level change of plus 6 dB. Doubling of the sound energy or acoustic energy belongs to a calculated level change of plus 3 dB. What this basically means is for, for the average person, like 3 decibels is about the volume change that they can hear. And 6 decibels is significantly louder. And 10 decibels is a lot louder. That is, that is twice the perceived volume. It's twice as loud in psychoacoustics. That's, you know, if, I, if I go plus 10 dB, I think it's twice as loud. Um, or I, I perceive it as being twice as loud. Would there be any AVRs that you would steer away from or amplifiers for speakers like these? Well, like you would definitely not want to pair it with something maybe too underpowered or is that even a problem with something that efficient? Because it's clearly not a case of wattage then with this person. They should just be focusing really on the quality of the amp and how cleanly it can do its business. When you're looking at speakers, you've got the room size, you're distant from the speaker, the sensitivity of the speakers, your speakers are really sensitive. I mention all this because a big jump in volume 
plus six db right that's that's considered it's like a, a healthy like somebody turned the volume up right that's six db you know mentally imagine that that requires four times the power which in your case means going from one watt to four watts <laughs> right going Huge. from one watts to four <laughs> watts you know turning the volume up a little bit takes you from 93 db to 99 db i would call 99 db like painful concert loud or like having having my head stuffed under my diesel next to the engine while it's running which i do not recommend or being next to a jackhammer or being fairly close to a jet airplane when it's taking off or landing that is dangerously loud um you know the <laughs> once you get up above 85 db you really need to start looking at uh uh wearing hearing protection or turning the volume down so your 93 db speakers uh, with one watt of power at one meter, right? Or, you know, if they're close to the wall, that's going to boost to the power, like 3 dB. If they are away from the walls, right, it should be like 93 dB. If they're close to the wall, they're maybe like 96 dB. I'm playing around with uh, the Meilau.net uh, SPL calculator. So I'm going to pretend everything's away from the wall because you're in a big room. And if I take that listening distance, and that one watt of power and that 93 decibel efficient speaker, if I take it from one meter to three meters, which is probably what my room is at, that takes your volume at your seated position from 93 dB down to 83.5 dB. Now let's say I'm in a great big house and I have a great big home theater and I am five meters, I'm 15 feet from my left and right speaker, I'm down to 79 dB. That's still pretty loud by my standards. It is not rock and roll concert loud. It is not, you know, blasting my chest into the back of my home theater seat loud, but that's pretty loud. Now, just for fun, let's go back to three meters because that's, uh, you know, 10 feet, you know, let's go to 12, right? There's lots of people with 12 feet between their speakers and their theater if they've got a good side living room. So your speaker sensitivity is 93 dB. I got one watt of power. I'm four meters away. My speakers are away from the wall, so there's not a lot of reinforcement of the volume or, you know. So I'm at 81 dB at the listening position. If I take that to 10 watts, I'm at 91 dB. If I take that to 100 watts, I'm at 101 dB. That is hearing damage. That is, you're way beyond hearing damage territory at that point. Now, I'm going to take it to 200 watts, and that's going to take me from 100 dB or 101 dB to 104 dB. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? You, I don't think power two, is two, two, the issue here. It sounds like yeah. you're saying that a decent yeah. AVR or a decent amplifier is going to be just fine. Yeah. And focus on things like noise quality and how is it at actually amplifying sound without introducing more noise or at yeah. what portions of the amplification is it most noisy and for your setup. Yeah. You know, you need a more powerful amplifier, you know, if you have less sensitive speakers. And a lot of speakers these days are, are 85, 86, maybe even less efficient than that. To get that 93 dB, you need 100 watts of power. And at 1 watt of power, you're at 73 dB, right? At 10 watts of power with an 85 dB efficient speaker, you're at 83 dB. So the less sensitive your speaker is, the more amplifier power you need. True. There are edge cases. For example, if I have great big giant planar magnetic speakers that are six feet high and dip into three or two ohm loads, that's when you start getting into, you know, <laughs> the kind of amplifiers that are, you, you, you have a noticeable increase in your electric meter or your electric bill when you've been running them for a few hours. 
have a specialty load. Yeah, you know, most speakers around 85 dB, 100 watts is going to get it pretty loud. Unless you're in a massive room, have incredibly insensitive speakers, or are dealing with other issues uh, in the installation. There's a lot more to talk about here. We could spend hours talking about this. A basic Den and AVR 7, uh, 750H, that's a 7.2 channel receiver. They're promising 165 watts across seven channels of audio, two of them in Atmos. That will power your speakers to painful levels. It's a great AVR. There's a great price on that. They're available right now. The whole idea of whether or not an AVR can actually deliver all of the wattage and all of the channels simultaneously is a whole nother question. Good point. Gene De La Salle and the crew over at Audioholics has done some of the best writing about this I've ever seen. Look at their amplifier measurement standard, i.e. what they measure and why they measure it that way. The truth about amplifier ratings. Uh, and uh, one of my favorite articles of alarm, FTC may kill amplifier rule, help us keep consumer protections in audio. Because one of the challenges has been over the last few years as they add more and more channels into home theaters and they try to stuff more and more amps and try to keep those great big numbers on the side of the box because consumers like great big numbers. There have been cases where the power supply in the AVR cannot remotely deliver the juice it needs to power all of the seven channels simultaneously at full volume. That said, you probably don't often need all of the channels powered at max at all seven volumes. And if you do, it's probably an explosion, and it's going to sound distorted anyway. But there's a reason why we talk a lot about Denon and Marantz and Yamaha uh, and some other companies out there, or why I love my primary power amp when I need to do serious driving of serious speakers is an ATI amplifier you know, that weighs 125 pounds. There's a lot of copper. You know, that, that thing can keep playing music for like several seconds after you yank the cord out of the wall because it has, you know, it's, there's a short answer uh, after all of this discussion. Um, you know, by the, by the Denon, Robert, it's more than enough power. Don't sweat max input power unless you're obsessed with gigantic, you know, if, if you have a bunch of, you know, thousand watt crown amplifiers you picked up, at a garage sale or your local guitar center cheap, yes, you want to worry about max input power. But for the vast majority of, of home theater receivers out there, they're not going to be able to kill those speakers unless you turn it up to levels that will cause you to be deaf within a few minutes of being in the room with them. So I think we covered a lot of that. And there's going to be a lot of questions on that one. So uh, tweet at Patrick Norton, tweet at Robert Heron, or email ask at avxcell.com. And we will dig into this some more because measurements are fascinating and people are super obsessed, myself included. I love a powerful amplifier, but it's overkill for most things. Although we could argue that for peak moments of super intense audio or home theater experiences, you need all of the wattage your amplifier. Rob's making that face. <laughs> I'm nodding in agreement. More power. We got an email from Milton who writes, I need to replace the HDMI cable in the wall that runs behind my TV. Any suggestions on what cable to use to help future-proof it? Thanks for any help. Just started listening to your show. Heard about it from Tom Merritt. Oh, very cool. Tom Merritt's the host of Daily Tech News Show. It is an amazing daily news show about technology news, not to state the obvious, but uh, Rob and I are, are uh, regular guests on that show, and uh, they are really good people. I love them. Good crew. Yeah. So much smart. So anything that goes in a wall brings you into the NEC, the National Electrical Code, which means you need uh, a an HDMI cable for rated at CL2, CL3, CM, or higher. 
And then my eyes start to bleed. <laughs> exactly. If this truly is going to be something you're going to put behind the drywall in the studs, so to speak, it has to have that rating in order to be legit. Either of those ratings, you're going to be fine with a cable like that. Right. As far as future-proofing the HDMI cable, it would be ideal to make it something that can support the absolute latest standards. And that would be the equivalent of a 48 gigabit per second cable that can take you all the way to 4K120, 8K60, whatever madness in the video formats you would prefer to experience. Now, there are plenty of good 48 gigabit options out there for cables, but if you look at them carefully, you'll find that most of the options are relatively short. We're talking like 15 to 20 feet right. if you shop around on Amazon or Monoprice for both CL2 rated and the 48 gigabit per second performance. That's not very long, and it may not be long enough for your particular installation application. If that's the case, and those cables ain't going to cut it, you might have to just bite the bullet and go with a fiber cable. Now, they have these out to 100 plus feet if you need them. They tend to be rather expensive. We're talking anywhere from a dollar right. to four dollars a foot, depending on which one you go with, which size. Thankfully, there are in-wall rated fiber cables as well. Beyond that, the only thing I would keep in mind is that with some of these high-performance cables, they may be directional. So when you do the install, pay careful attention to which end says <laughs> display on it, which end says source on it, and make sure that's in there right the first time. And double-double-check it before you seal the wall up completely. I would likely go with a fiber cable, especially if it's you kind of just want to be done with it. You'll get the right. highest performance for any future display you'll be looking at in the next decade rolling on something like that it's going to have all your feature support related to hdmi and the fact that it'll be cl2 or cl3 rated will hopefully make you sleep better at night it'll keep an inspector happy <laughs> <laughs> well all right the worst case scenario is, is is you know uh something terrible happens and your house burns down the whole point of you know as you go from like cl2 to cl3 to cm to cmp and somewhere in there's a there's a cmr or cl3r or cl3p which is plenum or riser rated and one this stuff gets really dense really quickly to some local code may actually already require cl3 rated cables rather than cl2 and you know basically it's it's about having um uh, a thick enough insulator and an insulator that does not burst into flames, that does not turn into toxic stuff that will kill you when it burns. Um, you know, it's all about the jacket material and, and making sure it's thick enough to do the job. What I find interesting is that we've often talked about the increasing performance of these HDMI standards. And right. clearly, as we've approached and now achieved this 48 gigabit per second performance level, <laughs> You can see that for copper-based cables, you ain't going beyond 25 feet with these. Uh, right. We used to say that you could run into performance issues with even 4K video, 4K24 at longer distances. But when it comes to the 48 gigabit action, yeah, <laughs> copper only gets you so far. And at that point, you're going fiber. And you should. And the cables are getting thick. The 25-foot certified cable I got to do my installation upstairs uh, before relocating the AVR and suddenly needing an 8-foot cable, you know, that thing's, that's the thickest HDMI cable I've seen in a decade. <laughs> that's true, you too. Know. It may not be the, the thinnest, nicest cable you would like to connect to your TV, but at least you right. know for the in-wall rating, it's got what it needs to be legit. Oh. oh, my goodness. How's your new monitor holding up? 
It is awesome. I really, really like it. Uh, this is the 27-inch 1440p Asus XG27 AQ. Woo. This is probably my <laughs> second or third week with it now. Damn lovely. Damn bright. Holy cow. I literally at nighttime, I run this monitor at its 10% brightness level just to <laughs> keep my eyes tamed and to make it somewhat comparable to my lesser business class display that sits right next to it. I will say straight up, man, playing something like Doom Eternal that just recently put out an update to support all the latest graphical features, plus HDR already, and just incredible eye candy at 144 hertz. It is a delight. I'm really enjoying it for just about everything. Oh, I will say the speakers built into this display are laughably bad, but occasionally come in handy. And uh, coming up, I think this weekend, or hopefully this week, I will be able to get some ICC color profile generation going and get this thing calibrated for my nice. Windows workstation environment. I'm surprised I don't have that done yet, but I just kind of wanted everything to break in <laughs> and play with all the features and everything as is. I didn't think I'd enjoy HDR and the expanded color palette as much as I am when it's done right. And when content is authored to that wider color palette, it it's looks really impressive. Fantastic. Absolutely love it the improved contrast performance of this display, I can't say enough of. It's just especially side-by-side side with my old monitor, it, night and day in terms of everything like scrolling through text to the quality of the image in terms of uniformity. Yeah, I'm a happy camper. I, uh, <laughs> I just need to calibrate it. <laughs> it's coming. So much calibration. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, if you're new to the podcast, you've been listening to AVXL. We're all about home theater and audio and making sure you get the best experience, no matter what your budget is. The man who is not me is Robert Heron. I am Patrick Norton. And uh, if you have a question for us, and we love your questions, email ask at avxl.com. I finally found a set of headphones that match the Harman Audio Curve, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about next week in uh, our next episode. I also... Uh, I, I should have had an amplifier review done for today, a very inexpensive amplifier review done for today, but uh, some testing opportunities may have popped up. So I'm, I am, uh, I will get back to that next week. Ooh, <laughs> I have some super secret audio related work coming up that I will uh, talk about as soon as I can. <laughs> it should be good. Should be good. Tease. Should be Rob's interesting. Rob's tease. Yes. <laughs> Oh my goodness! You got. If you want to tweet, uh, tweet at Robert Heron at Patrick Norton or at AVXL uh, at Robert Heron or at Patrick Norton is always best. And uh, if you want to get a hashtag on, hashtag AskAVXL works just fine. We both have searches in place for that. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL. <laughs>